I'm Richard Lannan, rides with Canon, and this is the Glazing Insider Industry Podcast. Welcome to the podcast dedicated to the people of the glazing industry. In this episode, I talk to Adrian Barraclough, who is the chairman of Quickslide. In this conversation, Adrian talks us through how he started in the fenestration world all the way through to the position he's in today. So without further ado, let's get started. Adrian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming on. Richard, welcome to Brighouse and thanks for inviting me. So how did you get into the fenestration world? Well, I used to work on five-year cycles on, um, on different jobs that I was uh, advised many years ago by... I started off at the carriage works at the, at the railway, just a secondary school education, and we used to build trains. And after five years there, um, there was a guy that said, uh, a guy called Frank Silman, and he uh, and I had my first pint in the Fox pub in York outside the carriage works. And he had his last pint in the Fox pub about a month later when he retired. And he said to me, I remember when I had my first pint in here 51 years ago. And, um, and it seems like, um, you used to drink a bit younger then. Yeah. And he said, <clears throat> It seems like it was yesterday. And all I've got is 50 years at the carriage works and three weeks that I went to Taiwan when we got a, a, a contract over there. That, and that's all I can remember. And don't do the same thing every year for 65 years and call it a life. So promise me that every five years you'll change something. So I was forced into leaving the carriage works after five years, um, I promised Frank I would. Um, he said, either change your house, change your wife, change your job, change where you live, but change something. Otherwise, your life will just become one boring, long line. And um, I didn't want my last pint to be in the Fox pub after working there all that time. My hand was forced because when I was 21, it closed down. Um, right. 3,000 people were told um, the works manager went to the gantry and he said, um, just to let you know that in two weeks on Thursday, we're closing down. And uh, great. All I can do is build railway coaches. No qualifications from school. And I'm in a, in a city in York where there's um, 3,000 people who can all build railway coaches. And I'm probably one of the worst. <laughs> So I started um, just doing jobs. I was cleaning toilets in nightclubs and uh, pizza huts and things like that. And, um, and then a few things over the years that that business did okay. I ended up um, doing okay with it. I ended up working for a company. I worked through, I worked through a company. I know this is pretty br- brief, but it's a long story made short until I was um, chief executive for this company that was about um, half a billion euros turnover. And, uh, but it was a corporate. I was employed. It was owned by a family um, in Sweden. And they wanted 
they were they were greedy. They wanted um, vertical wealth, and they challenged me to raise more and more profit. And I was doing extremely well, and and extremely fair. So I would. I thought it was it was fair between suppliers, customers, and staff that they should all receive a fair um, income, and the shareholders also. But I didn't think that one should outweigh the others. So I disagreed. Uh, you know, I gave them very, very good returns, far better than any other trading business at the time. But he wanted to go from great to exploitation. I didn't agree with that. So I resigned and just started off on my own as a, as a little consultant and got into the window industry just by accident with this tiny company um, in 2000 and, uh, 2005. Uh, and then effectively just um, Quickslide was then a very small business that I came to do some work for, just turning over about um, maybe a million pound or something. But I then believed it, it had a future. So I, um, I raised the money to buy the business off the owner. And then, you know, what we are, 17, 18 years on, my five-year plans, I realised now there were a few five-year plans on the way to get to there that all worked. And after five years, I'd planned to get out of the fenestration industry. But um, it just grabs you. It gives you every opportunity any human being could ever want. And instead of getting out of the industry, I just remodelled it every few years. So effectively, it's like a new start. So that's how I got in. 17 or 18 years ago, by chance, a little consultancy job into the window industry. Saw, saw an opportunity to get in, and I got in, and then we developed from there. Wow, that's already quite a journey. So what was the next step after that? Well, once we got the once we got the business, quick slide. I realised that um, in this industry, compared to my previous one, which was which was high level engineering, all you have to do is deliver what you promise on time to the price on a regular basis, and you've got quite a good income, and you can get quite a quite a decent business. So, I then set about. Developing Quickslide, who um, specialise in manufacturing sliding sash windows, started to build a small team around me, and each of us just pushing up our our performance levels, speaking to our customers and suppliers to find out how we can do, how we can work better. Going to see customers that wouldn't use me. Um, which I've always been fascinated by. You know, if you can take anything from any podcast, from this one, always work on the client that you that doesn't want to buy from you. If I if I go out now and I can and I still do a bit of repping and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I only went out yesterday and saw some uh, clients and prospects and people. I love working with people that don't want to use my business. Because that means they've got a supplier that's better than me. And even though I'm not wanting them to buy from me, I can learn from what my competitor does that holds them so strong that they don't want to leave. And it means that I can make my service better for my clients. 
So that's something that's um, very useful. And as I was going around, you know, repping, I learnt and learnt and learnt. And effectively, you never take a situation where somebody would say, um, no, thanks, we don't want to use you, we've got a supplier. And albeit my philosophy now is never try to steal a customer from a competitor. We can talk about that later, why that's a strong philosophy of mine, why it works well. And we've never, never ever badmouthed any supplier, any, any competitor, any customers to anybody, because everyone's got their own merits. Um, but when I was going around um, repping, I was just learning from every situation. And you go to a, a prospect and say, what would it take for you to buy from me? And that turned a situation around that they couldn't really not answer it. Yeah, that's right. Now, they might say, you'd have to be half the price. Okay, well, that, that um, probably isn't going to happen unless it's Everest. And you could probably do it easily. But you can take something from it. And you could even say to that prospect that you've gone to that you're not going to win. You can say to them, look, really valued your time. Your t- time's the most precious thing we've got, and you've given me half an hour of your time. Absolutely. And I really, really appreciate what you've given me. So are there any companies you think I could supply to? And it's very seldom they wouldn't yeah. pass you on to somebody. And then you can go to that company and say, look, um, Frank at Vision Windows has suggested that we might be decent for you, and you sometimes buy sliding sash windows. Slowly, you become this nice guy that wanders around. Somebody might want to give a chance to, and you'll get your chance. We'll all get our chance. And when you do, just deliver what you promise. And then you've got a, a partner. There's a lot there. This is, this is definitely one of those podcasts where people are going to learn something, definitely. So did all of this, how did you get to this mindset and this understanding? What was it when you were working in that sort of vertical structure, trying to, you know, that kind of company that you sort of saw what mm. they weren't doing that made you want to do it? Or was there a certain point that you remember that you think this needs to change and you need to do it this way? Yeah, I believe um, when, you, when you're not academically educated, you only learn from experiences. And, um, and, I, and we all love learning. It, it's, you know, yeah, it engages definitely. the mind, it gets your neurons working, it gives you good endorphins, serotonin gets flowing. So when you go out there and you learn something new, you get a real buzz from it. When I was going through, because I wasn't academically educated, I had to learn on the streets and listen a lot. Go to people that were achievers. You know, I had, I'd, um, at one point, I had 20 salesmen working for me. In, um, in in the large corporation. And the one that was the highest performer, would I could never get audience with him. I could never say, I want to come out and sit with you. No, thanks. I'm doing it all myself. Because he want, he'd got his magic little jewel. Now, that was the guy that I had to work with. His attendance was rubbish. He didn't put his reports in. His expense sheet was all over the place. But he always delivered double the sales from everybody else. Um, Harry Grundy. Um, it was called. He's known to a couple of people in this industry, even though he's not from the industry. Now, finally, I got his ear and I started to listen to some of the the magic that he did and and how he worked and his determination. And I think it's um, the hard... It's like the, the story that if you see a well-trodden path, when you get to where it leads, they, there's no low-hanging fruit. 
if there isn't a path and you create your own path, as Harry did, he found his own clients, he found his own way in. It's very hard to get there because there isn't a path made. You can't just walk down this path and pick up, pick the fruit. It's bloody difficult. But when you do get there, it's, um, it's all ripe and ready for you to have that part of the market and the audience. And then people see there's a bit of a path and they start to slowly follow, follow it. And um, the early people that follow it end up getting some decent fruit until it's well-trodden. Then everyone sort of clambers down it and it's saturated and your market's gone. By which time you've gone into a new little avenue and you've found some more. And it's always been, it's always looking for new avenues, something different. Your people, whether you're a supplier, you want to be challenged by your customer, as I do, and my suppliers do. And when you're a customer, you want to be pushed by your supplier. So we don't have customers that buy from us. We'll drive our customers to attain a level they should attain. If we get a, if we get a sliding sash customer in Shrewsbury and we think they should be doing £50,000 a year, we'll remind them that the similar company in Lincoln are doing £60,000 a year. They've both got similar opportunities. They're missing out on something here. So we're going to help them get to where they need to be and not just allow them just to be mediocre in their yeah. business. We want to drive, we want our customers to attain the most they can attain out of opportunities. It's very refreshing. It's, you're looking at this in a completely different way to normal business. So, you know, normal business of people, they're really focused on the end. You know, as you said, they're not even worried about the path they take. They just jump on that path and they get it, to the it's end. It's a result, Richard. So nearly, nearly every corporate is measured on P&L, bottom line profit. That's how, um, you know, we just had the Sunday Times Rich List produced and all things like this. And success has got, um, is mistakenly barometered with wealth. And it's, um, and it's, it's, you know, a different measure. And I always think if you want to get a good result, I put something in called, and I still do it now, called the rap plan. And um, I worked it through myself years ago about how I could attain a result. Because the result is the R. The A is the actions and activities. And the T is the talents. So if you want to get a good result, you, um, you can't directly affect the result. All you can do is use talents to do activities. And if you just try to say, slam your fist on the table and saying, we need more profit, that's not going to, it's like saying, we want to win this football match. That doesn't help. If the activities are, you say to your winger, I want you to put five crosses in every half. That's it. Don't just score any goals. Don't you do anything. Just five crosses a half. You say to your striker, I want you to get your head on two balls every half from each side and I want you to get at least one of them on target then you're going to end up scoring goals statistically if you say to your defender at the back I don't want just to win this match all I want to make sure is you never let that striker get goal side of you that's your only job so everyone has got an activity to do and they only have to focus on that activity I want you to make sure that that window leaves here absolutely spot on I want you to make sure it's delivered on time I want you to make sure that when you go to the, the clients, you, you listen from them everything that we're doing wrong and right that we can do better. Then 
everyone is just doing their little bit and you are, um, you're improving everything that you're doing and you get the results, not by trying to get the results. I never look at, um, if you look at all the reports around, around the factory here in Brighouse and anyone listening to this podcast is more than welcome to come to the gorgeous Brighouse, enjoy fish and chips, um, the, the Yorkshire people and have a look around how we do things. And please let us know how you think we could do something better because we all, we all want to learn. You'll see that we've got measurements in every single stage of the business so that every department knows how they're performing on, on, a, on an hourly and a daily basis. So that, um, and in the, the accumulation of all these subdivisions in the business ends up with a good result, but the result is never the thing we look at. You know, I can predict our PL just by the measure of the um, of the pulse of the business and how people are. It's absolutely fascinating. Just the way you're it, it feels different. As I said to you, when I walked in, your your team around you it is very comfortable around you and it, it feels like a family. But how many how many employees currently do you have here? I think there's probably two hundred and fifty here. Um what I find in, what I find, Richard, that's important is that when um, many companies, especially in the corporate world, are looked at, and when I was at the carriage works, you called workers, and you moved around on a board by executives into let's move those workers from there to there, and let's let's get rid of these three hundred, and let's start to make that in Hungary, and let's start to make this in Taiwan. And the cost of making those redundant is this, without any thoughts that these people have got, have got loans, they've got families, they've got rent, they've got, they might have booked a holiday for next year. And these people trust the board with their future. And that is a privilege to a board. I and mean, it's a privilege for every single person that has chosen to allow their career to be shaped by um, me and my team is an absolute privilege. And, we've got a duty to them to make them the best they can be. And that's something that I take, I take to heart very well. And um, whether they're in the warehouse, whether they're cleaning, whether they're a, a driver, they, they give us their, their time and life is just as important as everybody else's. And they, they give it to the business. And we, um, we want to, they probably don't know their full talent. That's something that we can work with them on finding out. And we've got many people that have started here in um, in loading. They've ended up in sales. They've started in factory production, ended up as a quality manager. You've got people in commercial that used to be in R&D. Because once they're in a business, they've then got an opportunity to move around. And... One one fascinating thing about um, the company that we've got here is that it's got um, so many different departments that if you've got a talent, you'll fall into one of those departments. But you might want to retrain to move into a different department. And we welcome people going into areas where they're um, where they're strong. And we just need to, we just need to identify the talent at the, at the front end and make sure that. We, we keep the business enthusiast, uh, um, enthusiastic 
and we keep it modern, we keep it sharp, and we keep ideas flowing. So it sounds as if, as you said before, um, part of your journey, you found the fenestration world and you realised it's got everything and it's hard to get out of once you're in, that's it. But it just sounds like you've embraced that and you're allowing all those opportunities for you know, the team around you to move around and fenestration covers everything from yeah. marketing all the way down to even design uh, and product design and everything. So we can get into deep engineering if you need mm. to, but ultimately you can drive, you can do everything. I don't think there's a better industry to get into than fenestration because it covers, um, I, I mean, most people have got homes, most people have got windows, yeah. most people have got doors, otherwise they can't get in. And all that is a forever changing opportunity for someone to uh, improve the security, improve the insulation, um, improve the aesthetics um, of a property. So you can get into this industry and you can create, make it what you want. And the, um, you know, we went to the Fit Show last week and the innovation and ideas and designs are just phenomenal. This is groundbreaking. Yeah. It's exciting. It's sexy. It's you transform a property with what you can do in fenestration. So if you're out there, not in this, get yourself into fenestration and you will not want to leave because it gives you everything you could ever want in, in a career. And uh, so it's a, and it grips you and the camaraderie we have got in this industry is phenomenal. We are 95% mates who support each other. And when I go and do my repping, and I know when a lot of my um, friends who work for um, competitors or associates go and do theirs. Uh, you know, yesterday I went to see four clients, one new prospect and, and three established clients. And I, and I share with them who I think would be a good supplier to them in different parts of the business. We all buy bits of aluminium, bits of timber, roofs, Composite doors, bifold doors, sash windows, flush sash windows. And we don't supply everything. And different people supply to different levels. So we generally try to partner different people with different suppliers. And as a result of that, the whole industry raises its profile. And it is, must be one of the most honest and respected industries, um, certainly in the UK now. I mean, let's, let's forget the 80s and the white gold and the double glazing salesman that would, you know, really exploit opportunities. It is, it is uh, so solid, it's full of integrity, full of great people doing genuine work and innovating at a phenomenal rate. So, yeah, what a place to be in 2022. So going back to 2005, when... I couldn't agree more, by the way. Everything you just said there, couldn't agree more. Um, but going back to 2005, when you quick slide, is that when you 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 took over? Yes. Was there a point, how long have you been working with the company before that point? No, I just, I came in as, as, a, as a consultant. So um, I thought I was, it's weird, because I thought I was um, quite, a, quite a, a big wig when I was the, the chief exec of the um, of, of my group. I was just an employee. When I left that, I thought I was better than I was, and I thought I'd just go into the city and get some jobs as a consultant. I didn't get many. I met an amazing guy called Bill McGrath, 
who was the chairman of BHD. And he brought me in as a consultant to Portland Conservatories to look at developing their business. Um, they went into administration in a couple of months. Um, I didn't get paid anything. Oh, and yeah. um, I tried to do a buyout, but couldn't, um, couldn't raise enough funds. So um, I met a guy who um, owned Quickslide that was only a fledgling tiny business. And I thought, and because it was up near where um, I'm from York originally, I was living down in Shropshire. Because it was in, um, in, in Yorkshire, I thought, I can go and see my parents in York. I can do a little bit, bit of consultancy. And I saw an opportunity to get into it. So I, so I took on Quickslide. I um, bought it from him. And then, yeah, and then started to get established from that point. I started to get into the business. And then as we worked through, as we went through in the, in the process, started to develop the business from my uh, principles, which, you know, touch wood, have seemed to work. Yeah, definitely. And then, well, that brings me on to the other businesses you have. So how did they come about? Was that? Yeah, well, if, well, the other businesses, I've got a property business and um, a machinery um, business and a, um, and a couple of other little investment companies. And, and, and I think, you know, I don't call myself a businessman because that's not, I'm a manufacturer. I enjoy manufacturing. You just happen to be known as a businessman because you've got businesses and you go to business awards and business events. The, um, there was another business in York called Sessions that was um, over 200 years old. And some of my, my friends from school got apprenticeships there and we were just chatting in York one night. And they're saying, oh, business is closing down because Sessions was established same time as Roundtrees in York to start making the, the printing and the packaging for round trees. Right. Nestle came in and bought round trees. Um, and that decimated all the local supply companies to round trees that were all set up at the same time. So they all fell apart as well. I didn't want my friends to lose the jobs. So um, uh, I stepped in, um, raised some cash, bought the, bought the business and, and just remodeled it. And now that they're doing amazing work we're doing amazing work over in the far east um i think we're in bangladesh at the moment installing some new packaging machinery for half a million pound got a few quite a few other orders do a lot of work in in the us in um eastern europe so um and on the property side yeah i think it's just something that um that keeps you busy i, I work with uh, my daughter who's um it was quite aspirational. She wanted to get into um, renting some properties and developing some properties. So she had to go through the process. She had to um, do a little business plan, apply for a loan. And then um, I supported her through it. Then we borrowed money, you know, genuinely through, um, through finance houses, made the numbers work. We went and did some properties up together. Albeit she did a lot more than me, worked really, really hard. And um, slowly got into into the properties, and we set up Bexley Properties, and, and now we've got some Airbnbs in York, which um, she sets up, she cleans, she manages, and really, she really, really grafts for everything she's got. You, once you're in business, you you see other opportunities. So you know, if someone comes along now and got an idea to 
set up um, a restaurant in Leeds or something. I think it's great. So I'll have a look at it. I'll, I'll argue some points about what's the competition, what's the market, and, and if it's investable, and I can help give someone else an opportunity to do something, then then I'll support. You know, if it's if it's practical. So you end up with you end up just getting a few more businesses. But it's not my plan. You know, I'm 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 content. I'm absolutely comfortable where I am. Don't want to. Um, got no ambitions to grow. I just enjoy work. I enjoy walking with dog. I enjoy playing a game of golf. I enjoy the industry. I enjoy seeing people around me aspire to levels that we support, which is fantastic. You know, I've got some customers that that I couldn't get through the door. There's one in particular down in London. I banged on this door. Uh, I know we're wandering off the track now. Oh, that's fine. But I, I banged on this uh, I won't mention the company name because um, they haven't given me authority to. But and this guy said, um, "Can you read?" It says no reps. And I said, "Yeah, I know it does." But the sash the, all over around here, there are there are old sash wind houses that have sash windows that have got double glazed windows in the look rubbish. And you're a window company on the high street, and you haven't got a sash window in your showroom. And he said, no one asked for them. I said, no one knows they're available. We've we've got to get sash windows into this area and you are the vehicle to do it. He said, look, I've got no time for you. We don't, and he, he banged and banged anyway. I wrote to him when I got back, didn't reply. I went down again, saw him again. And I said, right, we're going to find a house and we're going to put some windows in. And, um, and in the end, he conceded, we did. And now they're the largest sash window company in London. <laughs> and um, all the family are extremely wealthy. They've got, they've got a huge, they employ oh, many, many, many people. Um, they've got a real buzz, a bounce about them. And he says it, it was, you, you just wouldn't go away. You knew there was an opportunity and you made me do it. Now, not to that level, but I love it when you push individuals whether the staff members, or whether the suppliers, and you say to a supplier, "No, no, no, you can you can make this to a different standard. You can no, it can't be done. Yes, you can be done. Let's work on it together." And you drive your supplier to get to a level that they wouldn't have got without you pushing them. And you'll say to them, "Look, I don't want to go to China for this. I want to do it with you. So let's get your designer down here and let's work on it and let's work how we can source it to make it work." And I love the fact that you can help people get to where they deserve to be, but are scared to go. And that's the same thing with staff. Unless you exceed your perceived ability, you know, unless you knock the bar off in high jump, you're never going to know how high you can jump. So you've got to force yourself to do a bit more than you can do. And you sometimes we, we really enjoy just pushing people that bit more to get this is what you can be so that's that's where the fun comes in the in the business that's really interesting though because you you sort of you put ego aside because there's there's a load of people that i can even think of now that if you get rejected at a door you're never going back there you know that that's it you're done to the point where you know you could go the really far the other way and say i'd rather set up another company in that area to to almost sort of attack them than actually what you did which is see, you had the vision. You saw the potential for all of you. 
Yeah. Well, well, we all need we can't we can't do anything on our own, can we? We all need. Um, do you know each individual needs other people around them to make a team, and and the team needs a collection of individuals. So the hardest nut to crack is always the best one to have. That's always the situation. If you go and see um, a client that says, and like I say, we I don't I don't prospect for new clients now, so you know, we can maybe touch on that in a minute. But if you went to see somebody that doesn't want to use you, they're the one that you want. You know, when you were a kid and you were out there, um, out at your disco, and you were looking for a you were looking for a girlfriend. You meet uh, you meet a, a young girl out, and you say, "Oh, hi, sweetheart." Fancy coming back to my place for a drink and a, a little bit of a party. She says, oh, yeah, that sounds great. You're thinking, well, actually, I'm just a bit turned off now. It was all a little bit too straightforward. Now, you go to a, you go to a prospect and say, do you want to buy windows off me? And they say, oh, yeah, that's great because my current supplier is rubbish. Well, I'm going to be at some stage that rubbish supplier. And I'd rather have a, a customer that was a little bit more perseverant in getting us getting it right than just dismissing us. So when you go out there and you find resistance, everybody else gets the same resistance. And I want customers where my competitors go and knock on the door and say, we'd like to supply you. And they say, no, thanks. I don't want the ones that are fickle, that always change. In any business, in any industry that is forever changing, the customers, the staff and the suppliers is never long. You know, you need you need long term partners and go through the um, uh, the thick and the thin with them. That's absolutely fascinating. There is a question though. I'm guessing then that you're very good at delegation. Yeah. Y- y- yes. I mean, I, I mean, I I am. I talk about about egos. I mean, I, I admit the fact that that I haven't got um, any 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 particular skills in anything that we do here. It's all. You know, you feel like you're an imposter. Um, even the fact now that there's going to be two or three people listening to this podcast and me speaking is thinking, well, why are you listening to me? Because I'm a, I'm a little kid from secondary school that used to have to copy it in geography from Andrew Collier, who now works as a taxi driver. So what the hell are you listening to me for? I love that you know those details. Um, but, <laughs> but what you've got to do is you've got to work out the talents of, of the different people and you've got to get them to, get them to be the best they can be. Now, that doesn't require me to have any particular skills. I can't sell better than anybody else. I'm not technically better than anybody else. I'm not better at logistics. I'm not better at finance or, or the law um, or HR. But I can recognize talent. I think I can work. I think I can work people out to a degree. And I know that you know every person you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. And as there's a hidden talent in, in everyone that is just waiting to explode. And if you can be the one that, that brings out that talent and allows them, puts them on the pitch and lets them play, then you're going to get the benefits of them. So I won't delegate, you know, you'll never, you'll, you can't blame a fish for not climbing a tree, however hard it tries, because you've given it the wrong task. You've got to identify people by listening to them. Um, and start to pull the plan together for their careers and their futures. Same thing with your customers. Where are you trying to get to? Same thing with your suppliers. Where are you trying to get to? And by working on that, 
you just get the best out of everybody going forward. And you can recognize when things aren't quite going in the direction they need to be. And um, so good at delegating, I guess so, but also mentoring, supporting, recognizing when things aren't going quite so well and knowing when people need a, you know, need a little bit of a break and need a, a change of direction or some encouragement. You mentioned that you no longer prospect for new companies or for new business. Well, what, no, what I don't do is I don't um, actively target um, new customers from competitors. That's what I don't do because there's, this is a growing business that's forever evolving and I believe people need to be in the, in, the, in, the, in the right sort of geography. We've all got an ecological role that's quite important um, in the industry. And we've also got a massive, massive evolving and growing market to supply into. So if uh, we get many calls from um, customers saying, can you please come and supply us because uh, uh, wibbly-wobbly windows just a bag of rubbish um the first thing we'll do is what's going on what, what they're doing wrong but well, the delivery times are all over the place i'll say well we're all having that issue um the prices are moving i said we've all got that issue as well um and i will try all i can to get them to persevere with their current supplier to keep that relationship working the last thing we want to do is to encourage our competitors' clients to move to us. And we, by the same token, we don't really want our clients to be taken off by our competitors. And if we were to, um, to actively take a customer off a competitor, that, um, that creates a whole host of challenges. Firstly, we would probably have to give them a benefit to take them away from somebody else. So price or delivery or something. Secondly, we'd get our competitors pretty angry. And the first thing they'd do is come back and try and take one of our customers off us, which is a real nuisance because we'd have to try and protect them by either maybe lowering the prices or doing something back. We've then got a situation that we are supplying to someone new. So we, don't know if um, they're a good payer. We don't know if they're technically sound. We don't know how they are for taking deliveries. We've then got um, we've then got a client now that we know isn't very loyal because they've just left somebody else to join us. So by the same token, they could leave us to join somebody else at the, at the first hint of a problem. Um, and we can't service our own clients as well because now we've probably put another customer in the same um, geographic marketplace as one of our current customers. So they've now got a competitor that they didn't have before. So there's a whole host of problems. It's far better to work with what you've got and make it better than it is to steal somebody else's and build up your, build up your, um, your marketplace that way. You know, just develop your country. Why can't Putin develop Russia a bit better rather than stealing somebody else's hard work? Isn't it, isn't it the same process in a very, very tragic way? Look after what you've got and build that up rather than trying to steal somebody else's hard work. And, and let, that, let that customer and the competitor sort themselves out and even give a little bit of counselling. You know, 
on many, I know all our competitors, and on many occasions I'll call them and I'll say, look, off the record, I've had Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Um, uh, Winder Co. being on the phone to me, keen to use us because you've not got back to them on this, your quotes are hard to read, and the driver is a bit abrupt when he turns up. So can you try and put it right? Because I want you to keep in your field. <laughs> yeah. I'll keep in my field and we'll, we'll grow the market together rather than fight each other. That's fantastic. So that's a philosophy that, and generally, generally it's worked and we're all pretty honourable. And that goes back to, I mean, you said that earlier, the grass is always greener. People always look they always see yeah. the, the positives. They don't necessarily need to see the negatives in a new relationship. Or If you think the grass is greener, start to look after your own garden. We could all look over the fence and think, oh, I quite like their garden. Well, get your spade out, get your grass seed out and your watering can, plant a few begonias and make your grass, make your garden pretty nice. And, they, and your grass will start to grow. You know, let's not try and steal somebody else's hard work. That's a philosophy. That's brilliant philosophy. Mm. So down to the three questions now that I asked, that's quite a journey. So in the whole of that journey, is there a low point that sticks out for you in all of that? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, once I started with the business, um, I, had to, I had to borrow quite a bit of money to get it. I'm not an educated person. And from being chief exec of a big group, having a good salary and a nice, easy life, just flying around the world, um, being appreciated and pointing and shooting, I had to absolutely graft and earn every cent. And um, there was many times, and every single person, business leader, would have been through this. You know, Friday morning, the wages were due out. The wages were maybe twelve or £13,000. We had minus 3000 in the bank. The bank manager wouldn't release any more. And I had to um, get drivers, a couple of drivers, we had two drivers then to bank checks. I'd have to borrow some more money on a credit card to put into the, to put into the bank to pay the wages. Um, on occasions, I had to ask the guys to wait until the Monday or the Tuesday and give them a big, big talk. I'd be in the weekend with myself working, making windows and working with them and getting it through. So, yeah, but you, you aren't going to not go through that to get to where you are. And that's what, you know, that's what makes it work. I mean, you've, you've got to, um, and you've got to feel the pain. There's, uh, there's one, one particular um, story that I'll, I'll cut pretty short. But many years ago, um, when I was working for myself, when I was about um, 22, 23, I had a battered old car and, um, and I had to, I had to, to drive to sell some product over to, uh, in, into Wales. And this is before mobile phones or anything else. I only had enough fuel to get to my destination. And when I got there, because I was held up on the motorway, there was, um, the shop I was selling to was closed. So I had no money for, I'd, I couldn't even keep the, it was winter. I couldn't even keep the, the engine on for the car overnight to stay warm. There wasn't enough fuel to drive back. Um, before credit cards, this is 34, 35 years ago, um, over in Rill, in Wales. And the uh, so I knocked on the shop 
next door um, that was open. I said, oh, yeah, the, the other closed early because it was quiet. I'd already told them I was coming across, but obviously didn't really care because I, I was just trying to sell some goods. So I knocked on a few bed and breakfasts and just said, look, I've got no money, but I'm, I've, got, I've got an order to pick up tomorrow morning. I'm going to get paid for. So if you let me have a room for the night, then I'll come and pay in the morning. And um, about the fourth or fifth guest house I knocked on, the lady said, I'll oh, come in here. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's okay. And she just wanted a bit of company, I think. It was, it was winter. So I, said, so I went into this, this bedroom with a, you know, you can imagine what it was like, a black and white TV with an aerial that didn't work and looking over the, um, the Irish Sea with the, um, you know, in the winter. It isn't really great. A single bed that's freezing cold and um, your bum touches the floor when you're laying on it. Thinking, well, they're not going to be open tomorrow morning. They're not going to want my goods. And I'm not going to get back. I've got no one to ring. I've got no money for a telephone. And um, when I went back the next morning, the guy said, "Oh no, thanks. I don't want. I don't want um, the goods that you've that you've got." And I said, "But you pay something for them, won't you?" Well, oh, and in the end, um, we did a deal because that was my only option. I went back and paid the lady, filled the car with fuel. What a feeling it is! putting fuel in a car when you've had no fuel in the car. What an amazing feel. Um, drove back to York. And now pretty much every year I go back to that guest house for one night. I try and do it on the same um, anniversary date. And um, I'll take the same room. I will um, not watch TV. I will not make a phone call. And I will just, I will just lay in the room for the night. And just remember, you know, that um, this is where you get your law. And when people come and say, yeah, I couldn't sell that, you could. If you affected one of Maslow's laws, food, warmth or shelter, you would sell. So don't tell me you can't sell. You can always say you can't get the price you wanted or the deal that you wanted, but you can't tell me you can't sell. So, you know, take yourself back sometimes to a real moment and just pinch yourself to say, God, I'm lucky, you know, and, and, and use, use that learning. We all, we all learn from our lowest points, you know, a moment of massive embarrassment to my parents. I could have ended up having to go to a police station and just say, look, can you ring my mum and dad and tell them that I'm a failure? I'm stuck in the middle of bloody North Wales and I can't get home and I need a lift with a car, you know, or... I can do a deal. I can pay the lady and then I can put some fuel in my car. I can have a sandwich. I hadn't eaten for a day and I can go back, you know? So yeah, we do have lows and, um, and that was a low, but it was also, it turns into a high, doesn't it? Cause it's a moment in life that you think, wow, I've climbed that mountain. Even though it was a little place in North Wales, it's a great feeling when you go back, then you've got a full tank of fuel. That's powerful, mm. that is. Mm. That is, um, that's something else. Is it still exactly the same? Uh, they no, updated no. it slightly. It's changed owners about six times. Um, and it's, it's had a facelift, but it still, to me, carries the same sort of memories. You know, you, you, yeah. you feel it, you feel it. They, um, but, you know, but you've got, you, we, we've got, we all have 
extreme lows, like pr- profound lows. But from those, you build, don't you? And the lower you are, the easier the momentum is to start climbing. Because you're not climbing from a plateau, you're climbing from the, from the depths. So you, so you can't really go much lower. So everything's, everything is an endorphin rush. Fantastic. Mm. On the flip side of that then, is there a high point that sticks out for you? I think that, I, yeah, I think um, particularly, I mean, won some awards, which is great. Um, the uh, Fabricator of the Year and um, Health and Safety Company of the Year. We won the Calderdale Business of the Year last year. And I know the standing joke is Pedro the Ice Cream Man came second. But in Calderdale, we have got some decent businesses. But I think the general high is that people, people value, appreciate and respect what we stand for as a company. And when I see on social media platforms the people in my business getting respected for things that they've done, I'm thinking, well, I've part created that. And when I see companies that we supply and companies that we, we buy from, each attaining good credibility for what they're doing, that's, that's just, um, that's again, there's not one particular, we've, we've created a great P&L or we've done this. It's a general respect in the industry. There's no better drug to be appreciated and respected. Than, and, um, uh, so that's just a general high, you know. And at the moment, we're as high as we've probably ever been. So it's, um, it's a good feel. I don't like to see companies around us struggling, um, and some of them are. And, you know, because the industry itself deserves to be strong. But um, at the moment, we and people within, within this business are, are doing okay. People before profit. Oh, you know, what do you do with cash? You know, you can't do much, can you? You can buy a car, you can buy a new house, you can do it. But I mean, if you've got a particular ability that you can, if you can redeploy that cash into opportunity for other people and, and products and systems, I mean, we've just invested... Like 2.7 million in in new machinery and equipment and software that won't be installed until probably autumn 2023. So that's really comforting for me to be able to to buy forward in that. And and exciting for I'm excited for my clients that they're going to get these new products and systems, not just the product, but it's how the product gets across the the IT and um, the marketing support that we're putting forward. It's very exciting. And we're driving our suppliers to new levels as well in what they've got to supply us. You know, it's like the Apple story that you know, Apple drove a lot of the businesses in um, Silicon Valley to start to go to levels that c- couldn't be. Otherwise, they'd lose Apple as a, as a client. So, you know, we like to drive our suppliers on as well. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Mm. Last question. The fenestration world. If you had to spend two weeks on a desert island with someone from within the fenestration industry, who would it be? I know you know a lot of people. There's loads of people now that are going to think, yeah, it's me, it's me. But I'm afraid everybody, everybody would, would recognise um, that there's one person that for me, and I think for most people, is head and shoulders above everybody in the industry. And, um, and that's Matthew Glover. Because Matthew creates, Matthew is the most selfless individual on the planet, w- without fear. He has got a resolute determination to achieve things for, for people 
and bodies with his um, his vegan support that can never say thank you to him. Now, most people like to do something good so they can be have an accolade and have a trophy around the neck and be on the front page of Forbes magazine saying, this man's given the most money to charity. Matthew spends his life, he lives a very, very modest life. He's cre- he created everything Matthew puts his mind to, he attains. He never rushes, he's never flustered. He's the one person that if I rang him now, he would answer the phone. There's so many people that have got so little to do that have never got time to answer the phone. Matthew will always answer the phone. He'll always put, he'll always listen to my challenges. He's created um, Conservatory Outlet. That was his concept. West Yorkshire Windows. That was his concept. Everything that worked from those businesses, he he set up um, the um, not only the Fit Show but some initiatives before the Fit Show with his brother Andrew and Paul Godwin um, as a vehicle in the north and south to um, get people to um, to network. He's always come up with ideas. He has never said one one bad word against any individual in my that I've known in my life to anybody. And um, he sits there anonymously as somebody who um, doesn't want any recognition for anything. He's just um, the heart and soul of what this industry is all about, you know, just a real solid good soul, and we're lucky to have him. So um, I'm afraid, albeit we wouldn't, um, it wouldn't be any good for the diet, <laughs> two weeks on a desert island with Matthew, because <laughs> if we catch something, we're starving hungry, then he's not going to eat it. We're going to have to grow it <laughs> or eat some leaves. But um, notwithstanding that, and, he's, and he is a fascinating person. He, he's somebody that you really want to you're blessed with his with his audience you can just listen to him and get gems all the time and none of it is about um about about him everything is about um good stuff uh, around so yeah from all my fantastic mates around the industry um yeah you know, my friend um you know matthew's gonna have to sit there as uh, as number one and i think Heart and soul, most people would say they've got a lot to thank Matthew for. Well, I think it's a great answer. I, as I said to you, I met him last week for the first time and I didn't realise, I genuinely didn't realise he'd started a version of this podcast many years ago yeah. when he saw it. And you correctly, you know, you yeah. said that you were the first guest. Yes. So, uh, and I, I said that to him. I actually mm. did say, yeah, mm. I, I promise you, I didn't copy your podcast. I didn't mm. know it existed. Um, and he did make a joke about royalties. So, um, yes. but it's, yeah, absolutely fascinating with everything. And I, he, the good thing, I asked him a question about the show last week. And the fascinating thing was, I assumed that he wasn't really in the industry like he used to be, but he still is. Mm. Um, he's still, and he sort of, um, because I thought with VFC and everything that he's, he's doing, he must be way out. And, he, you know, the fits over here is just something, but no, he, he was still on the pulse. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Oh, he's, he's sharp. He, um, you know, he, he just doesn't, he just doesn't want cash. He just wants enough. He wants everything he's got to go to good causes. So, um, you know, that's Matthew to a T, an absolute um, salt of the earth guy, and Jane, his wife, and um, lovely uh, twins. He's just got 
he's just a fantastic guy and, uh, and great for the industry. Brilliant. Mm. Adrian, thank you very much for your time today. Okay, thanks, Richard. And uh, if anything changes, maybe the next phase, I'll have you back on the podcast. Yeah. But oh, I'll, uh, be, I'll be around for a while, yeah. Yeah. All right, All right. thank you. Thank you. Thank you, bye-bye. That was a great conversation with Adrian. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you'd like to hear more podcasts like this one, consider subscribing. Otherwise, thank you for listening. Until next time.